All right, let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We covered this passage in, we read briefly this passage in Sunday school this morning, but we're going to study it a little more fully today. If you're visiting with us, my name is Greg, and I serve here as the senior pastor. It's my privilege today to open up the word. Uh, we've been studying as a church through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, section by section, making our way through, and we've arrived today at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. You might remember that the Apostle Paul has been telling us that there's a way to walk in the Lord, and there's a way not to. There's a wise way, and there's a foolish way. So the Apostle Paul is going to continue that discussion today that there is a wise way of walking with the Lord. So let's pick up our reading in verse 15. We'll read down through verse 21. We'll pray and we'll get going. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything, to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, would you give us great grace this morning to understand the surprising nature of, of a spirit-filled life. May we, Lord, give you full reign and authority in our hearts. And I pray that you would fill us for this very work speech that builds others up and holds you up as Lord. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in every endeavor of life, there is a result that commends the process. Let me illustrate with that what I mean. If a farmer every year has a bumper crop of corn, it's not going to be long before all the other farmers start asking, why do you always have a bumper crop? If there's a physician and his patients always recover better and faster than other patients who've had the same procedure, the scientific community is going to say, what's your secret? How are you doing that, that your patients recover so much better and faster? If there's a particular make or model of car that outperforms all the rest, they last longer, they break down less, they drive better, well, then, of course, people are going to start asking why. Why is it that your results are good? When we come to the spiritual life, there is a result that commends the process. There is a result that has God's sort of stamp of approval on it. The question, though, is what results should we be looking for? And what's the process? And I want you to know that the result that the Apostle Paul talks about is so surprising and so out of the box from what we would normally expect 
a spirit-filled result to be, especially in this discussion, that very often we totally miss the point. Very often when we read this passage, we completely miss the surprising nature of what Paul is saying we should be shooting for as God's people. Further complicating this situation, the surprising nature of what Paul is saying, is the fact that in our day and age, these verses have been used and frankly abused in all sorts of different ways, mainly by ripping them out of their context to chase a certain point. Let me illustrate. How many of you have heard entire sermons based on the phrase, do not be drunk with wine? And that's all that this taken out of it. Or singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that's all that's taken. How many of you have heard sermons? Or be filled with the Spirit. And that's the sermon text. And that's all. And suddenly we're talking about how to be filled with the Spirit, what being filled with the Spirit, the, the role of the Christian in the Spirit, the role of the Christian in alcohol, the Christian's use of alcohol, music, what we should... In each of those cases, though I think it's appropriate to begin with a Bible verse and it can be done the right way, I would say most of the time it's not done the right way. And because of that, when we come to this passage, we hear these phrases disjointed, don't we? You don't commonly think, don't get drunk with, sing to one another. You don't commonly think, don't get drunk with, be filled with the Spirit. We don't link those together in our minds anymore because we've heard them separated out so many different ways. But I want you to know, as we read here, the Apostle Paul is putting them together in union. And that in itself is surprising, isn't it? And it's even more surprising when we consider what he wants Christianity to look like and what we've come to expect it to look like. These become big differences. Let's get our way there, and you'll see what I'm talking about, hopefully, once we advance a little bit. I want us to know that the Apostle Paul is giving us a pattern. Let's look at verse 15. He says, look carefully, then, how you walk, not as wise, but as unwise. And right here we see that there's a pattern. And the pattern is this, and it's a pattern that he's going to pick up in the coming verses. The pattern is a negative, and then he gives a corrective. When I coach my Little League Baseball team, almost always the kids grab the bat cross-handed. I don't know what it is. It's just a comfortable way for kids to grab the bat. They grab the bat with their strong hand on the bottom when their strong hand needs to be on the top. And so what do I do? I say, okay, let's not hold the bat like this. Let's hold the bat like that. It's a corrective. There's a negative to avoid and a positive to embody. And that's what Paul's doing. He says, don't be foolish. As we get to our text, our text today is verses 17 through 21. And I want you just to see the pattern very quickly. He says, don't be foolish. That's the negative. But be understanding. Or in the second one, don't be drunk. And what's the corrective? Be spirit-filled. 
And then being spirit-filled has several results. Okay? You want to know what being spirit-filled looks like? Here's what it looks like. That's sort of how it goes. Everybody see that pattern? That's what Paul's doing right here. Let's move forward in that pattern. Let's look at verse 17. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So looking first at that negative, don't be foolish. He's already referred to that somewhat in verse 15 when he says, don't walk as wise or as unwise, but as wise. And if you've ever read through the Proverbs, you realize this, these are opposites. Uh, wise and foolish are opposites. And so he's staying sort of in the same ballpark here. Don't be foolish. Now, so you know, when he says, don't be foolish, he's not talking about the sort of foolishness that we might today call foolishness. Generally, when what we call foolishness, Paul would call silliness or youthfulness. But when Paul says foolish, he actually means something far worse and more diabolical than what we typically have in mind when we say foolish. These aren't the sins of youth. These are deeply held sins that have awful effects. I've given a few examples of this word foolish. First of all, we have here a present tense command. In other words, stop being foolish. Avoid foolishness now and into the future. Have nothing to do with foolishness. Furthermore, in the Bible, this word foolishness is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to rape. It's in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Psalm 14, 1 for atheism. Jesus uses this word twice to refer in Luke 11:40 to pharisaical hypocrisy. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 20, it's this sort of greed. It's the rich fool who said, oh, I, I don't know what to do with my stuff, so I'll build bigger barns. And after he gets his bigger barns built, he says, rest, my soul, take ease. For you have many goods stored up for many years. And Jesus says, you fool, your soul is required of you tonight. Don't be foolish like this guy, but be rich in things toward God. Foolish people live for the now. Wise people live for the life to come. In other words, these are not what we would consider typically foolish sins, are they? These are studied, long patterns of deception or greed or covetousness or whatever it may be. And these are the types of sins that have dramatic effects on people. And Paul says, don't, don't be foolish like that. Don't go that direction. But instead, understand. Be understanding what is the will of the Lord. This idea of understanding. Jesus actually uses this word a lot. Um, and by understanding, you know, we can, we can use understand in a lot of different ways. So, so for example, I, I think, let's see here. I think in Spanish, I, it, right offhand, there are at least three words that use the word for understand, comprehend, to understand, to know. Okay. English, we do a little different, but similar. Each one of them has a little different twist on what it means to acquire knowledge. Is it knowledge that you've never had before and you're coming into some new knowledge? You're not fighting against it necessarily, but you're acquiring, no, no, no. This word understand is describing 
not so much new information, but a change in thinking from a wrong way to a right way. And that absolutely fits what the Apostle Paul has been saying. Don't walk as unwise, but as wise. And to understand. In other words, there might be some ways of thinking that you have to be open to changing. There might be some points of your worldview that you have to reevaluate. Jesus says to the Pharisees, look, understand this. You're not defiled by what is outside of you, but by what is already inside of you. And I can imagine if this were 21st century America put back then, they go, whoa, 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 hold on. Say that again. <laughs> we're not defiled by what's outside of us, but by what's inside of us. That would demand a lot of thought, a lot of change. It would be a radical adjustment of thinking. And so the Apostle Paul is saying right here, avoid foolishness. Stop being fools. Don't be fools. Don't go that direction, both now and forevermore. And understand what God actually has for you, knowing that what God has for you might fly in the face of what you previously thought God wanted you to do. In Sunday school, we talked about how the Apostle Paul would have sworn that God wanted him to persecute the church. But he had to re-understand the will of God for him. No longer persecuting the church, but becoming the church and writing letters that the church today is studying. He had to understand this. A change, a radical change of thinking. That brings us to our next one. Paul says, I don't want you to get drunk with wine. Now this is in the same vein as avoiding foolishness, not walking as unwise. He's sort of just ticking these off in order. And he says right here, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And it's a present tense command, again, which you can translate, do not be getting drunk with wine, which is debauchery. And I want us to note very quickly that Paul's command here is blunt and clear and ongoing. He gives very clear language. Don't get drunk. And it's not up for debate. He's not trying to parse the words. He's not trying to... He, he is communicating so clearly and quickly and bluntly and decisively that to tease it out any further actually undermines the point that the Apostle Paul is making. Don't do it. Period. End of sentence. Paul is saying something that's biblically unanimous. You can look up a ton of Proverbs, Proverbs 20, verse 1, or you can look at cautionary tales as they're revealed to us in the Old Testament that getting intoxicated is sinful and dangerous and foolish. And the Apostle Paul's prohibition of it here is clear and blunt and straightforward. He's, he's relying on all of this biblical information such that he can say something so clearly and bluntly and move on from it. Maybe some of you parents 
have had something like this with your kids. Your kids want to do something, and they're, you know, we're told in the Proverbs that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a teenager. Okay, sorry to tell you that, teens. I didn't say that. Solomon did. Take it up with him, okay? <laughs> He's right, by the way. <laughs> I was one of those foolish teens. And the teen, he, might, he or she might be a great teenager, fantastic kid. And they want to go a certain direction, but because they haven't been around the block yet, they don't see the danger up ahead. And it would actually be inappropriate as a parent to explain to them the danger that lies ahead. And you say, I don't, I don't want you doing that. And they say, oh, mom and dad, I... And, and perhaps you've done it. I know my dad had to do it several times. He says, look, it's not up for debate. You're not doing that. And that ended it. And for me to further push it would have been trouble for me. And that was my dad's way of saying it's out of the question. And his brevity in it underlined the point. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He offers one bit of explanation. He says, don't get drunk, because it is debauchery. Now, some of you may have never used the word debauchery in your lives. <laughs> so what is debauchery? Well, it is excessive and unrestrained drunkenness. And because I, this is a full slide, I still have several more lines to go. I had to save room. It is excessive and drunken. It is excessive and unrestrained drunkenness and all of the things that go along with it. Okay? Very often, we don't define debauchery until after the fact. Okay? There's a, a, a giant um, college party, for example. And the campus gets trashed, and stories start coming out. And a week later, the assessment of the secular dean's office is that was debauched. That's what Paul's talking about. Okay. This isn't our word. This is actually the world's word to describe excessive and unrestrained drunkenness and all that goes along with it. And Paul says, don't get drunk. It's debauchery. Now, here is where Paul stops and starts to do something very, very surprising. Because we might expect Paul to go down the rabbit hole explaining all the evils of society that come from debauchery. We might expect him to start complaining page after page about sins associated with it. But herein lies the genius of Paul. He stops and goes a completely different direction because he does not want Christians to be curmudgeonly, gripey, 
grouchy complainers about all the sin they see in the world. He wants Christians to be so different from that. No, Christians aren't to get drunk and participate in debauchery. That much is clear. But sitting around and complaining and grousing about it isn't doing anybody any good. So far removed from that is the Christian ethic, the Christian attitude, the Christian mindset. And this is the direction that Paul goes, that if you've never seen it before, it should strike you as shocking what he does. Don't be drunk. That's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Here's what he, he begins to unfold, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. This word, filling of the Spirit, is used frequently in the Bible. Now, again, I, I had so much fun this week studying the occurrences of filled with the Spirit. I don't have nearly the time or the space to explore all that with you. But what I want you to know is that filling of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, has a unique impact on speech. In fact, very often, it's speech that's first affected by the filling of the Spirit and most profoundly affected by the filling of the Spirit. It's your words, it's your mouth, it's how you speak, both for an occasion and day to day. It's amazing. And Micah chapter 3, verse 8, we're told that he was filled with the Spirit of the Lord such that he spoke to his brothers his Jewish brothers and sisters, about their behavior. In Luke 1.16, the angel tells Elizabeth that John the Baptist is not to drink wine or strong drink because he is going to be filled with the Spirit and he's going to be a preacher. And when she and Mary got together, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. And what came out of her mouth but a divinely inspired poem? Right there. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter was filled with the Spirit and preached with great power to those who were looking on to the Jewish leadership. Many people were saved. Paul, in Acts chapter 13, verses 9 and 10, was so filled with the Spirit that he spoke with power to Jews and Gentiles alike, and many people were saved. The Apostle John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day when the Lord appeared to him, and what came out but he wrote the book of Revelation for us. Spirit filling and communication go hand in glove. Communication is often the first thing that's changed and the, and the thing that's changed most powerfully. And so you can see, I'm, we're going to circle back in just a moment, but you can see now why Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, singing to one another, making melody, being grateful, giving thanks. You see that now. 
spirit filling such that your words change utterly joyful grateful kind words spirit filled words that's totally different than how most Christians talk about alcohol, isn't it? Totally different. Well, you might be asking yourself, how is one filled with the Spirit? Well, that's a good question. And I'll have you know, the Bible doesn't totally answer that. There are some pretty strong clues, and there's an opposite of being filled with the Spirit, and that is grieving the Spirit or quenching the Spirit. And by putting together the concepts of filling the Spirit and quenching the Spirit, you can begin to see how a person is Spirit-filled. And it's very clear through the Bible how you're Spirit-filled, and it's not a particular method. It's not by a certain prayer. It's not by certain songs. It's not by listening to a certain message. The idea is actually like a conduit. Are you restraining the flow to yourself? with a worldly care, as Jesus illustrated in the parable of the sowers. Parable of the soils, rather. Are you quenching the spirit with an unconfessed sin? Are you grieving the spirit with some part of you that's rebelling against the Lord, and you know it? You can look up Ephesians 4.30 or Isaiah 63.10. The way that we're spirit-filled is this sort of unhindered idea where you're allowing the Lord to use you in whatever way he sees fit. There's a willingness, an eagerness, an openness, unrestrained, unrestrained. Now, we know, humanly speaking, right, that that's actually something that you learn over time. Those of you married folks understand something. You are now more open and transparent and unencumbered and unhindered in your relationship with your spouse than you were on your wedding night. Now, on your wedding night, you would have said, oh, we are open, we're unhindered, transparent. Yes, you were, however much you were able to do that on your wedding night. But as the years have gone on, it's gotten fuller and freer and more natural. It's gotten more lovely, and you've been more accustomed to sharing with each other. And over time, your union together grows and grows. That's what Paul is saying. 
this sort of openness and transparency and unhindered desire to be used of the Lord is something you grow into. And as you do it, the thing that is most effective is your speech. Here's what he's going to say next. If you want to know what spirit filling looks like, remember at the beginning I asked, what are the results that commend the process? You know, a farmer has a process. What commends the process? Well, the crop. The car manufacturer has a product. And that's what tells you whether the process was good or bad. And in spiritual things, we have a product. And it tells you whether the process is good or bad. And the product is how we talk to each other. That's what commends what God is doing in us. That's how you know that God is really in something or on something. When his mark is on something, when it so affects those people that their words among each other change. Listen to these. We're to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Our translation says addressing. The Greek word is actually much more common. It's the word for speak in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts. The, the word um, addressing one another, you, you might say, well, why aren't they singing those songs to each other? Why are they speaking them to each other? Well, in the first century, um, very often leaders would put doctrine into prose that would be spoken to each other, and later that that prose was developed into songs. But it started as doctrinal education and put into a rhyme form so that people could remember. Think of it this way. If you were the pastor of the first church of Ephesus and you knew that less than 5% of your congregation could read, how would you teach them Bible doctrine if they can't read? Well, perhaps you teach them to read and I'm sure many did. But in the meantime, you teach them little rhymes, like A is for arrow in a warrior's hand. <laughs> we speak those things together. We speak songs. We speak truth. Speak doctrine to each other. We memorize psalms. We memorize hymns. This word, uh, spiritual song, is odes. And that's probably these kind of doctrinally tight teachings about the Lord Jesus Christ that were used to carry doctrine forward. So yes, we speak, but we also sing. It says singing and making melody to the Lord in our hearts. Singing and praising. The idea is praising, making melody, praising. It's also a musical term. Harmonizing. We're we're coming together to sing. And even in the act of singing, we're joining together to make one note. What is, what is, what is harmonizing then when two people really, or two or more people harmonize really well? It makes one sound, even though they're all singing different notes. 
This is what the Apostle Paul is advocating. Singing and praise and speech. That though it might have an individual sound to it, strikes one note. Love and mercy and kindness. He says, giving thanks. This is actually one Greek word, giving thanks. Notice the categoricals. Notice it, look at it. Giving thanks always. And for everything. It's very dramatic in Greek. Giving thanks always. All things. Always all. Always. Gratitude. Thankfulness. How different is this than what we might have expected the Apostle Paul to tell us to posture ourselves toward drunkenness and debauchery in the world's sins? Last, as part of this spirit filling, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, very briefly, the Apostle Paul says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, and that actually serves as a transition for the next several verses. Okay? For the next several verses. The next several verses are wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, submit to your masters. And he's using that mark as a theme that we'll see in several sermons to come. And we're going to explore that a little bit more in the future weeks. By the way, just so you know, next week we're going to cover Psalm 67. Because the following week I'm going to be on vacation. And what I did not want to do was come and sit, preach, wives, submit to your husbands, I'll see you in two weeks. Okay? Though that would have been amazing. <laughs> All right. I'm not, I might, the comedy routine is over from there. I'm not saying anymore. So next week we're going to be in Psalm 67 so that I can positively hit the husbands the following week with Love Your Wives. Fair enough? Now, friends, we're about to get to our applications, but do you see what I'm saying? Paul says, don't be, don't be unwise, don't walk foolishly. How many of you might have expected, if Paul had been hanging out with 21st century American Christians, to put on his talk radio hat and get on his podcast or blog and just start railing on all the evil things that people do in the world and pass that off as Christian? How many of you would have expected him to do that? That is wrong. That is not what Christianity is. And it's not what we're supposed to be. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as a result of being so filled with the Spirit, having this unrestrained, full relationship with Christ. Such we're rejoicing and singing with one another and instructing each other. I have three applications, and they all are notice, okay? 
is I want you to think about this. The application is to think. Notice, first and foremost, the togetherness. Notice the togetherness. Every meaningful word in this passage is both collective and plural. Okay? Let me read this. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. And y'all don't get drunk with wine. But y'all be filled with the Spirit. All of you addressing everyone together in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in all of your heart, giving thanks, all of you giving thanks, always for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of you submitting to everyone out of reverence for Christ. Do you hear how collective that is? This is together, plural. We, to embody the commands, the results of spirit filling, means by nature, we have to be together. We have to do these things together. We have to be proactively in each other's lives together. We have to seek one another out, outside of Sundays, and on Sundays too. We ought to cultivate a heart where we love nothing more than being with other believers. There's a, there has to be an eagerness to join with each other for this sort of praise and singing and gratitude and thoughtfulness and care. God didn't save you just to get you out of the world. He saved you to put you in a body so that you could give and receive this sort of positive, thankful, kind, spirit-filled word. There's an assumption that you're doing this together. Second, notice the positivity. Joyful, music-filled gratitude runs completely counter to the gripey, curmudgeonly complaints issued by our nation's present discourse. Okay, may I say that again? <laughs> Joyful, music-filled gratitude runs completely counter to the gripey, curmudgeonly complaints issued by our nation's present discourse. Stop griping. And get together with Christians and be grateful. Talk gratefully. Sing to one another. I remember I was, um, I was a, uh, let's see here, a, a junior or a senior in college. I can't remember which. It was over Christmas break and went and visited a friend, a pastor, a friend of mine. His son was my friend and wanted to meet his dad and went up. And they had uh, Sunday morning services, and this particular church also had a Sunday evening service. Met. And after the service was over, we went to the pastor's home, and his daughter said, hey, let's sing. And I I have to confess that that was like the weirdest thing anybody has ever said around me, or at least I thought it was. 
And the pastor, who I didn't know played the piano, pulled out the hymnal and sat down at the piano and started banging out notes. Like, well, like it sounded good. He's a good piano player. And the family gathered around him and started singing. And I was sort of an outsider. I wasn't in the family. I'd never done anything like that before. That's what they wanted to do. It was lovely. And I remember thinking, this is what I want my home to be like. People singing spontaneously together. Third, I want you to notice the proactivity. Through Paul, the Lord is encouraging you to be the agent of spirit-filled speech. You are to be the agent of spirit-filled speech. What can, what can you do? Who can you talk to? Who can you encourage? What word can you offer somebody as way of praise or encouragement or thanks? Paul isn't directing this to a trained clergy, though I think he would expect clergy to lead the charge on this. Paul isn't directing this to recognized leaders of the church. He wants the people in the church to set the pace. He wants the people in the church to be very proactive in creating a speech culture that is very opposite what is seen in the world. Now, last thought before we wrap up. Now that we have a little, now that we have the help of retrospect, and you hear Paul say, don't walk as unwise, but as wise. Don't walk as, don't, Walk in foolishness, but in understanding what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine. How many of you would say, oh, yes, I totally saw what was coming next? Anybody? So how many of you would say, yeah, that is kind of surprising? The effect. Okay. Then let's think about that. And let the Lord begin to change our hearts and change our words toward each other. And we do that enough among ourselves. The results will commend themselves to people outside of us. And we'll say, there must be something to that. And then we'll have a reason to give them for the hope that is in us, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have been so gracious to give us these words. We're grateful that you have shined this wisdom into the heart of the Apostle Paul. And now, yes, Lord, we avoid 
unwise lifestyles and foolish living and drunkenness, of course, but there's something so much better. This spirit-filled, grateful, melodious, harmonious togetherness with Christians. That's what we want. I pray that you would give it to us in spades. May we be so filled with the spirit that we can't help but spread this thanksgiving and praise and kindness to others. Transform our speech by the filling of your spirit. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name.